feet up And I won't turn back Cause I want to see my Jesus someday I've got my mind made up And I won't turn back Because I want to see my Jesus I'll sing that again I've got my mind made up And I won't turn back Because I want to see my Jesus someday I've got my mind made up And I won't turn back Because I want to see my Jesus someday So goodbye world I say so long to you Goodbye pleasures of sin I say so long to you I made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. I made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. So goodbye world, I say so long to you. Goodbye pleasures of sin, I say so long to you. Oh, I made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. I made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. And I've got my mind made up and I won't turn back because I want to see my Jesus someday. I've got my mind made up And I won't turn back Because I want to see my Jesus someday Oh, goodbye world I say so long to you Goodbye pleasures of sin I say so long to you Oh, I made up my mind To go God's way the rest of my life I made up my mind To go God's way the rest of my Oh, let's sing that one more time So goodbye world Oh, I say so long to you Goodbye pleasures of sin I say so long to you, oh, I've made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. I made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. Oh, hallelujah. I assure you that if you've made that choice, that's the best choice you ever made your whole entire life. Goodbye world, all the troubles, all the heartaches, say so long to you, amen. How many is glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Well, let's make sure and let your brain tell your face that you're glad to be here. Let's see those happy smiles. Turn around and shake your neighbor's hand or bump their fist or whatever. Tell them good morning, it's good to see them, and I hope you 
have come to have a great time in the Lord this morning. Let's sing that old song uh, since we're talking about uh, getting out of here. Where could I go but to the Lord? Oh, where could I go? Where could I go when I'm seeking a refuge for my soul? comfort can afford Oh, I'm striving along to face temptation sore Tell me where could I go but to the Lord Oh, tell me where could I go Seeking a refuge for my soul Oh, and I'm needing a friend To help me in the end Oh, where could I go but to the Lord Oh, neighbors are kind I love them, everyone. We get along in sweet accord. Oh, but when my soul needs manna from above, oh, where could I go but to the But comfort I get from God's own word Oh, yet when I face the chilling hand of death Oh, where could I go but to the Lord? Oh, tell me
back over to the Lord. Amen. Once you make that choice and you go to the Lord, then you can certainly say this. He set me free. Yes, He set me free. Oh, He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see. Glory to God, He set me free. Oh, once like a bird in prison, I dwell. No freedom from my sorrow I fell. Then Jesus came and listened to me. Glory to God, He set me free. Oh, He set me me free, yes, he set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. Oh, I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see. Oh, glory to God, he set me free. Oh, now I am climbing higher each day. Darkness at night has drifted away. My feet are planted on higher ground. Glory to God, I'm homeward bound. Oh, He set me free, yes, He set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. Jesus to see, oh glory to God, He set me free. Now goodbye to sin and things that confound, none of this world can turn me around. Daily I'm working, I'm praying to, glory to God, I'm going through. He set me free He broke the bonds of prison for me I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see Oh, glory to God He set me free Oh, He set me free Yes, He set me free He broke the bonds of prison for me God, He set me free, and I've got so much to thank Him for, so much to praise Him for, you see, God has been so good to me, and when I think of what He's done and where That He's brought me from I've got so much to thank Him for Oh, just sing it out to Him Oh, I've got so much to thank Him for 
done and weighed That He's brought me from I've got so much to thank Him for Well, sometimes Along this way I need I stop and say thank you, Lord I reach heaven sure, Lord, please just let me kneel once for I've got so much to thank Him for. Sing this verse here. I want to thank Him for letting me see this last day in time mystery for I know that my name is on the book Oh, the seals They have been revealed And any day now That body change we could feel We've got so much to thank Him for How many's got so much to thank you for? I've got so much to thank Him for, so much to praise Him for, you see. God has been so good to me. And when I think of what He's done and where that He's brought me so much to thank Him for. One more time. Oh, I've got so much to thank Him for, so much to praise Him for. You see, God has been so good to me. And when I think what He's done and where that He's brought me from, I've got so much to thank Him for. Amen. We've truly got so much to thank Him for. I know if He never, ever, ever done a single thing for me ever again, He's done more for me and made my life worth living. Amen. If I make it to the other side and He looks at me and says, Depart from me, I never knew you. It's still been a wonderful, wonderful thing to live from here for Him here on this earth. Amen. Let's just, uh, Brother Matt, if you'd play that song, um, Bring All Your Needs to the Altar. We're going to take our prayer requests uh, before the Lord here this morning. And uh, I'd like for you to... Uh, <laughs> Remember, uh, Sister Amber, she's uh, sick this morning and was sick last night, not doing well. Just keep her in your prayers. Also, remember my wife is really, really struggling with uh, some back issues, and um, we're going to uh, try to get her in to, uh, for some medical treatment next week. So just remember her in prayer. Um, 
Also, we want to remember our pastor that um, is away in the state of Washington. He's over there with uh, Brother John Andes this weekend, him and Sister Becky uh, ministering with them. So we just uh, remember them. Also, we want to remember uh, Brother David uh, uh, Whitlock. He's uh, recovering with his leg, and he also turned in a request for a co-worker to ask for prayer for his uh, for this co-worker because his uh, uh, grandfather had uh, committed suicide. So we want to remember that family. Also, I was told that uh, I think the Reynolds are going to be traveling next week, so we just ask for the, the Lord to be with them and give them safe traveling mercies. Uh, I know there's many unspoken requests among us. Amen. I'd like to ask uh, Brother Jaron if you'd come and take these requests before the Lord. Let's just sing that. Bring all your needs to the altar. Oh, bring all your needs to the trusting you, Lord, for each need, that you would touch those that are sick, Lord, you would heal those, Lord, that need a touch in their bodies, Lord. Father, we just pray that you would bless and help those that were not able to be with us today, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just, Lord, give them a blessing as well. And all those that are uh, having to stream the service today, Lord, maybe wishing to be here, Lord, I pray that you would just, Lord, you would move upon the scene in their situations, Lord, Lord, that you would just revive us once again, Lord. Renew our spirit, God. Cleanse our heart, God. Change us, Lord. Make us like in your image. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Uh, Brother Lincoln, Clavel has got a group that's going to be singing this morning, so as they would be coming and get ready uh, to sing, just an announcement here. 
Sister Doris said to uh, please come by and check the lost and found box that after this week they're going to have to uh, empty it out. There's a lot of stuff back there, umbrellas and things like that. So just uh, make your way back to the library to the uh, lost and found and see if any of that uh, stuff belongs to you.
Amen. That is wonderful. Thank you, kids. Amen. I've been asked to sing this song here. I, if you can bring that up in the database uh, farther along. You know, it's got, this song's got some... Uh, I do it a lot different than the way it was written. Uh, I know that uh, there was a minister one time and actually had heard uh, uh, Brother Joel from Happy Valley do it. And uh, I agreed with a minister that said all these years he had heard this song sung. But that was the first time he'd ever heard it sung. So I just, uh, I kind of stole it and the words just always ministered to me. And uh, so just help me sing it. If you listen to the words to it, you know, you're going through life and you're trying so hard. And it seems like everything sometimes just happens to you. And you look over at uh, a coworker or something and uh, everything's just going right for them. And yet they, they live like, you know what, and, it, and it's hard to... You know, you're just like, Lord, I, I don't understand. But one day we will understand it. Amen. And I, I just uh, I love this song. Just help me out. Tempted and tried we Off made to wonder They should be thus All the day long While there are About us, oh, never molested, though they're in the wrong. Oh, Father, along we will know all about it. Oh, Father, along we understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Sunshine, oh, we'll understand it all by and by. When death has come and taken our loved ones, it leaves our home so lonely and dreary. Why others prosper Living so wicked Year after year Oh, but farther along we Will know all about it Oh, farther along we Understand why Cheer up, my brother, you can live in the sunshine, cause we'll understand it all by and by. Oh, when we see Jesus coming in glory. mansion oh we'll understand it all by 
cheer up my brother You can live in the sunshine Oh, we'll understand All by and by Oh, by and by Oh, when the morning comes Father alone will Let's all stand Know all about it Oh, Father alone will Understand why So cheer up my brother And live in the sunshine Oh, we'll understand it All our ushers to come at this time and we'll receive our morning tithe and offering and we'll turn the service over to uh, Brother Rapp. I'm certainly looking forward to this, what the Lord's got in store for us. <clears throat> Amen. Brother Andy, if you'd place the offering. Amen. As Brother Rap comes this morning, let's just sing this song. Have your way. Have your way. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and have your
bless you all. It's good to be here this morning. Really appreciated the, the song service and the, and the wonderful specials and just the atmosphere that uh, each one has created. Real pleasure for me to be here. And uh, my wife was disappointed she couldn't come. She was with us, I think, back in August and uh, just really appreciated how friendly everyone was and welcoming and uh, but get her greetings and also from our church back home with Brother Paul. Um, perhaps we could open up in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, as you're opening there, I just want to uh, share my own appreciation for all that uh, you all do in your church, for, uh, for the different work with, with, uh, with Vision Books and, uh, in Ukraine. I know it's got to be a, a body work and appreciate what each one does, however small it might be, um, taking care of those needs that are overseas. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. And I want to take a, a phrase out of that uh, verse as our title this morning, the mystery of his will. Sometimes, oftentimes, uh, God's will does seem to be a mystery to us. I just want to... Uh, talk about that a little bit this morning as the Lord helps us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask your blessing upon the ministry of your word this morning, Lord. I just pray that you would, uh, Lord, just anoint me, Father, and anoint each here, Father, that you may speak to the needs of each heart. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. How many of us uh, probably remember back when we were younger teenagers thinking back if we could just find what God's will is for our lives. And at that point, we're wrestling with the questions like, uh, yeah, what should I be when I grow up? Who should I marry? And then the uh, uh, first job and that kind of thing. We kind of think, if I could just know what God's will is for my life, and those are the first three milestones there along the path. And then we kind of have this idea, at least I did, that if we just know who we're, who we're supposed to marry, what we're supposed to do with our life, that kind of thing, I think in the reverse order. But um, if we know those things then we know God's plan for our life, and we've got it settled. But um, it's kind of disappointing as you go a little further along the way that, you know what, I don't think the will for God's will for our lives is ever a settled and done deal. There's a, I know it, I don't ever have to ask for it again. How many of us uh, would say, yes, I am having to continually find out what God's will for my life is? doesn't matter if you're... 10, 20th, whatever decade, whatever decennium you're celebrating, however many, maybe no children yet, maybe children, different stages, grandchildren, I think we're always still seeking God's will for our lives. And that's one of the most uh, challenging parts of the Christian life, I would say, and also one of the most exciting parts, trying to find um, God's will. And that can be very difficult as we, as we try to, as it seems like the voices around us, sometimes it can seem like there's a cacophony. There's people saying all kinds of different things, getting all the kinds of conflicting signals. And uh, even our own, our own feelings, it can be hard to navigate those sometimes. We, we wrestle with it. Um, but it's just so wonderful. Once you get the, God's answer to the question, you know the next step, that's such a rewarding thing. And no, sometimes we, we can think, about God's will for life. What am I supposed to do next? What is the next thing that you've called me to do, God? And, you know, we are called to do things. But um, just speaking for myself, sometimes um, we can be perhaps too focused on what we're supposed to be doing for God, and we can think that what we're doing can be more important than being with God. 
because that personal relationship with God um, is ne- should never be pushed to the side because of good things that we're doing for God. If you do that, you can be doing all kinds of good things for God, but without spending personal time with God daily, you're going to end up running on empty before too long. It's just time to plug back in uh, personally to speak with the Lord. This, uh, this opening text from the book of Ephesians it was written, uh, written, written by Paul, and it's one of the, Ephesians is one of the epistles um, known as the prison epistles. Paul writes it um, from Rome while he's being, uh, being held there um, as, a, as, as a prisoner for several years. And um, it's interesting how we even got there. I want to take a look today, kind of follow Paul along his third and fourth missionary journeys and see how God's will to Paul was just gradually, gradually unveiled. And we'll see that in Paul's circumstance, um, it wasn't uh, this neat picture where God tells, where just like this map in the heavens is, is showing what Paul's supposed to be doing here, there, and everywhere, all, all the way till he gets to Rome. It's very much um, a God un- unfolding it in a process. When we talk about um, the mystery of God's will, um, it's, a, it's a mystery for us, but it's a mystery not in the sense of something we have to solve, like a, like, like a crime. I, I, I enjoy a good mystery. As you're reading along and you're, you're trying to catch the clues the author might drop in the text, and you're, it's, it's a whodunit, and you're trying to figure out uh, the answer using those nice little gray cells. But it's, the mystery of God's will is not one of those kinds of mysteries. Rather, it's a mystery. It's the same word, but it's, it's, it's a different kind of meaning to it. It's the mystery in the sense like the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven that, that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 13, where God can unveil part of the mystery to the disciples. Yet there's this supernatural element that still remains to it, and this is going to continue unfolding and unfolding and unfolding so that we can never say that we've got a particular mystery in the Bible figured out Neither can we say that we've, at a certain point, we've got God's will for our life figured out. We're always having to, to continue walking with the Lord and paying attention to him. One of my favorite devotional writers is Oswald Chambers. One of you might have read his uh, devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. Um, a real favorite of mine. Um, I think this is a picture that was taken probably when he was, uh, when he was serving in Egypt. He, uh, his life is really interesting. Um, he died... Uh, uh, shortly after he went to Egypt, called to be a YMCA chaplain uh, during World War I. Uh, and he goes down there in 1914. It's just the Lord seemed to be blessing his ministry among the soldiers uh, because there was a, a, lot of great, a lot of great questions. Or, um, people have been serving God, and all of a sudden this, this great war where so much death and destruction comes, and where is God in all this? And Oswald Chambers was there in the trenches helping people see God is still here. He, uh, he's serving God down there, and in 1917, at just age 43, just three years older than, the, than me, very young age, um, he dies from complications from having his appendix taken out. Why? Don't know. Don't know, but God, God is at work there. But um, he writes about the mystery of God's will. He says, the knowledge of God's will is not in the nature of a mathematical problem. Now, one thing I do like to say when we talk about God's will is always... You work with what you know. It's like this math problem we know here. Think, ah, oh, what in the world is, and when you first get into algebra, like, what are letters doing with numbers here? They've always been two separate subjects. Now they're thrown all together. 
Well, you start out by doing what you know to do. What are you supposed to do with the two? You've got to unite it with the 16, got to undo addition, use a subtraction, and then you have 14 is 2x, and you start focusing on what you don't know. But before focusing on what you don't know, you focus on what you do know. So in that sense, it is right. But um, we look at something like a function where you've got what am I supposed to do with this here? I have no idea. Give me a value for X. I'll stick it in a certain principle of God's will, and bang, I'm always going to get the right answer. Yeah, it's not in that way. It's not that way because situations can, there, there are so many different facets to, uh, to what's going on. We think we have it figured out, but there are so many more angles that we don't know. But Oswald Chambers writes that as we obey, we know what we're supposed to do. As we obey, we make out what is his will. And then it becomes as clear as daylight. We have to be continually renewed in the spirit of our minds, refusing to be conformed to the spirit of the age in which we live. And then we shall prove, literally, make out an obedience. So it's not that we're going to stay on the couch and wait for God to reveal his will to us. God wants us to get off the couch and then start doing something. You know, um, the steps of the righteous order of the Lord. The guy on the couch didn't take any steps. In order to have God's word will revealed to you, you have to start taking steps. A friend of my brother Stephen Strew phrased it a little differently. You cannot steer a stationary ship. You have to, have to get, get moving, and then you can be steering. So God's will is made out in obedience. We're proved then what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this morning, I'm going to try to follow the Apostle Paul on his third and fourth missionary journeys. And we're going to see how the mystery of God's will to Paul... Was became, became evident gradually to him as he walked in it. So is it also going to be in our lives? So we'll, we'll start off in Acts chapter uh, Acts chapter eighteen. Maybe we can uh, just you can just keep your uh, keep your Bible open there. The book of Acts. This is a little bit of a book of Acts survey this morning. Oh, we're going to join Paul as he uh, kicks off his third missionary journey in Acts 18.23. He's uh, in verse 22. He's just lands in Caesarea after having been several years in Asia Minor with his second missionary journey. Then he goes down to Antioch in verse 23. And after he had spent some time there in Antioch, he departed. And there's the little blue... Uh, there's a little blue route. He starts there in Antioch, and he departs, goes all through uh, the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, cons- uh, strengthening all the disciples. So there's where his third missionary journey begins. Now, um, so he goes through all those cities, and then once he finally gets to Ephesus, there he's going to hang out for a little while. He ends up staying there for quite a long time. Um, after three months, he, uh, he's, uh, he's been sp- speaking in the synagogue for three months, um, but the Jews finally got tired of him in the synagogue and, uh, and kicked him out. And after that, he looks for the next place to hold his meetings. And nearby, there's a school of a man named Tyrannus. And he speaks there uh, for, uh, for two years. He's teaching in this particular school of this man. And as he's doing this, the gospel just spreads out through Asia Minor. There's a great revival in Ephesus. I mean, evil people are being delivered of evil spirits. Um, it says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Um, this all kinds of things going on. Idolatry is being uncovered. People are repenting of it. A lot of good teaching is going on. And you would think this is a great place for Paul to just kind of stay because God is blessing this. But um, Paul is led to uh, 
I wonder, it would be interesting to ask Paul, why does he say here in verse, in chapter, verse, verse 21, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit that when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, and then he says, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. This is the first indication in this, in this story of what Paul feels like God's will is for him to do. He doesn't have it figured out, but he's got this sense that this is where I'm supposed to be going. And that's like that sometimes we'll have this, this sense of what the future holds. Some of you have this, this sense of something coming up in the distance, and this must be God's will for us. But we're going to see it plays out so much differently. Um, but Paul had to kind of hold strong, hold fast to this little bit of God's will that was revealed to him because he's going to have a tough time. He does go to Macedonia, goes to Achaia, and both places he's writing letters. He's writing letters to Rome. He's writing letters to Corinth. He stays in Corinth for several months. And after he'd collected offerings in those places for the people in Jerusalem, the, the Jews who are Gentiles are now offering, are, are, are sending uh, humanitarian aid to the uh, people in Jerusalem who are going through a famine. And then he decides, I'm going to sail for home. Now, Paul decides he's in Corinth. I think he's going to try to sail home and go, go back to Syria, just there, there on a boat. But it says um, in, um, I don't have it written down, but it says that the, the, the Jews had laid wait for him. And they were going, so he had to, he has a bait and switch. Instead of jumping on a boat to go to Syria, he uh, takes a boat up toward uh, the north, up toward Philippi, and he's going to go to Jerusalem then by by land. And I think this just kind of indicates he's got a picture of what God's will is. Proverbs says, a man's heart divides his way, but the Lord directs his step. Paul says, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Then all these unexpected things happen. He hears here that the Jews are going to try to capture him on his trying to get to a boat because they don't like what he's doing. And he's got difficulty after difficulty. And we can have a sense of what God's will is for our life. We can make our plans. But we don't need to be married to our plans. Be willing to drop our plans, and God might reveal his will a different way. And we've got to be open for that, because sometimes we can just put, a, put, put our foot down strong in the discussion. This is what God's will is. I'm going to do it this way. And we might have the big picture right, but we need to be very humble in how we're going to get there, because we can devise our way, but God's going to direct the steps. He does that certainly with Paul. Very little in the following chapters is going to go according to anybody's plan but God's plan. So the mystery of God's will is going to be uh, worked out here. So yeah, like I said, uh, the Jews laid wait for this chapter, verse, chapter 20, verse 3. And finally, uh, when Paul, um, he's sailed from Corinth up to Philippi, then going down uh, now with the uh, pink line, he heads toward Miletus. And once he's in Miletus, He's talking all these different places, sharing with folks, um, kind of giving these missionary reports. And as he's doing that, he's kind of sharing what, what God's done and where they're headed now. And as he's uh, in chapter 20, talking to the believers here, he's, he's sharing his desire to go to Jerusalem. And as he's sharing, he says, I'm, I'm, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. I don't know the things that are going to befall me there, but... In every city, the Holy Ghost is witnessing that bonds and afflictions abide me. And here it gets kind of interesting. Um, we often think that God's will is going to be accompanied by good things. But here, Paul is being told in every single city, 
you go to Jerusalem, bad things are going to happen to you there. Bad things are going to happen to you there. Yet Paul keeps his course sided on Jerusalem. So just um, because we want the flowery bed of ease, that isn't going to be, that's not always going to be the picture of God's will for our lives. If we're going through difficulties and struggles, that doesn't necessarily mean we're out of God's will. So be certain of God. Brother Brandon preaches a sermon about that. Be certain of God. When God's giving you direction in your life, step out on it in faith and keep to that until God gives you a real clear indication of something else. He doesn't know what, what's exactly awaiting him, but he's getting a clearer and clearer picture. And then finally, in, um, he says, None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. His purpose is to finish, is to do what God's will is for him, to finish his course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the grace of God. And then he ends... And just imagine, you know, Brother, Brother Barry probably said something last service, so he's going to be away. And um, imagine he's speaking like, like Paul is. And the last thing that Paul or your pastor says as he's getting ready to leave is, I know you all, among whom I've been preaching the kingdom of God, you will see my face again no more. What a way to end your last meeting here in Miletus. This is a town close by Ephesus. This is what he's been saying, and he's, he says this again as he's, uh, as he's, as he's um, departing from, from Ephesus later on. The people all go with him to, 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 to the shore, and they're, they're just crying because they know what's, what's going to happen to him, this idea that bad things are going to be happening to Paul. And he said, you will never again see my face again. We are saying goodbye. I mean, that would just tear on everybody's heartstrings. Yet, he feels this is what God's called him to do, and he goes forward with it. God is going to reveal to us his will one step at a time. That's, that, that, that's a real important print. It sounds really simple, but it's true. We want to know the end result, but I'll tell you, it's probably good we don't have a crystal ball to know what the future is, because then we wouldn't get off the couch. It's like, no, Lord, I don't want any of that to happen to me. It's good that God doesn't reveal his will to us way out in the future, just one step at a time. Paul takes that step, and he doesn't know what the next one is, but he takes it, he gets on that boat, and as he obeys, just like Oswald Chambers said, as he obeys, God reveals more and more of his will to him. And then finally, into verse 20, they all kneel down together, pray there at the beach, uh, hugging Paul, kissing his neck, and um, because they're so sorry that they will never be seeing him again. Now, as Paul continues um, going through various cities, Everywhere he goes, people are giving him messages from the Holy Spirit. Paul, bad things are going to happen to you in Jerusalem. Really bad things are going to happen to you in Jerusalem. Everywhere he goes, the Holy Spirit is saying, how, how this is taking place, we don't know. But um, in one place, um, here, he, here he is in Tyre in uh, Acts 21. He stays there, and, uh, and then the, the, the disciples say to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And in Acts 21, we have an interesting scenario both here in Tyre and later when uh, the prophet Agabus comes. And Agabus comes, we'll say this next one, um, they're already down there in Judea. Agabus comes, this is a, a New Testament prophet, he takes Paul's girdle, he ties Paul's, Paul's hands and feet with his girdle, and he says, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man who owns this and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. 
And when all of Paul's friends, all of us, Luke is there writing this, both we and they of that place, we besought him not to go to Jerusalem. And here it's interesting because Luke is recording these prophecies, saying this is what the Holy Spirit's saying, and then we, we are beseeching him, don't go. And what do we do here? Because what Agabus says was true. Paul was indeed imprisoned by the Romans at Jerusalem. He was indeed handed over to the Gentiles. The prophecy was true. But the interpretation that Paul's friends put to it was wrong. The prophecy was true that you're going to be, be imprisoned in Jerusalem, be handed over to the, to, to, to the Romans. That's exactly right. But then they, with the, and out of the goodness of their hearts, they misinterpreted the prophecy. They said, because of the prophecies saying all these bad things will happen, Paul, you shouldn't go. The Holy Spirit's telling you, Paul, you shouldn't go. And that second part wasn't right. And it could be interesting how Paul can do all these. This is why it can be difficult to know God's will for our lives. Because Paul is getting conflicting signals, even among his own friends and, 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 and brothers. And everybody loves Paul, and they're on Paul's side. So Paul, this just shows how important it is to know God's will for ourselves. Nobody can, should know God's will for your life like you know it. So the prophecy was true. The interpretation was false. But Paul had to know what God's will for what was for himself. How could Paul be so sure? Now, yesterday as I was uh, flying down, I, I was reading through uh, questions and answers, a uh, uh, sermon from Brother Brandon from uh, early 1961, it was a, a brother's meeting, and Brother Bram's getting different, different questions. That are, that they were real good about knowing how do you know your position in the body. And then um, one of them um, got the question here. Since I know the end is so near, should I still wait for the Lord Jesus to speak to me about a call to the ministry? The brother who's writing the question isn't sure. Am I called to the ministry or not? I kind of wonder if I am. Not real sure. But since the time is so near... Should I wait for him to tell me? Or would he be pleased to tell you what to tell me since I know you're his spokesman for the day? I thought, man, if I'd written the question, I would be really happy if God would just tell him and let him tell me. That's the, uh, that, that's the ideal picture. I can remember when I was, uh, um, I think probably late teens or early 20s, wrestling with the question, what's God's will for my life? What should I study in college? What, what should I be pursuing? And I asked this brother for counsel, this brother for counsel, this brother for counsel, this brother. I asked four different brothers for counsel. And I tallied their votes at the end. And it was two to two. It's like, Lord, trying to go find a fifth brother to break the tie after, after that. He says, no, that's not the point to go and find people to tell me what I should be doing. It's good to get good counsel. That's just fine. But you know what? We've got to know God's will for our own lives. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. That's, that, that is true. But you know what? As a young man, we've got to be able to make our own decisions too. And that's, uh, that, that, that's part of it. And I, I really enjoyed Brother Brenham's answer to this. He says, I believe God would speak right straight to you. Because, you know, we're not too big, and I'd say we're not too small either, that God can speak to us. And he'll, he will speak to us all right. He'll speak to us. And I tell you, if he told me, then the brother might say, well, he told Brother Branham, so, so praise God. But you see, it isn't Brother Branham giving you the call. It's the Lord Jesus giving you the call. And if it's the Lord Jesus giving you the call, 
he'll do the speaking. I could speak to your ears, but when Christ calls you to the ministry, not just to any other thing, whether it's whatever kind of field of work you might be called called to do, the the ministry is a wonderful thing, but we don't want to say, oh, just because you're a minister, you're serving God somewhere, but you're an engineer, sorry, you're called to carnal work. That's not the case at all. Every work, when we're called of God and dedicated to God, it doesn't matter if you're a housewife, a farmer, a cleaner, an engineer, a traffic policeman, anything, if you're doing it to God's glory, you are called to God. It is a completely false idea that there's a spiritual world that we serve God in. So we're, we're doing spiritual things on Sunday, then we're back in the natural world on Monday. No, when God's dwelling in our life, everything that we can do, everything we do, is worship to him. Even if you're going to school and doing your homework, all of it is worship to God. So when Christ calls you to the ministry or anything else, it's in your heart. That's where the thing has to anchor, and you can't get away from it. If Brother Branham says, yes, you're called to the ministry, go for it. If he gives that kind of an answer and things don't pan out, what's that brother going to be? He's going to be mad. He'd be bitter because he was wrong. He led me the wrong way. We don't want to get in that spot. We can give counsel, but it's still the person who makes their decision is the one responsible for the decision. So if we start giving counsel, steering one person too strongly one way, making the decision for them, we're really, it's almost like a, you know, a butterfly hatching out of a cocoon. That part of wrestling to know God's will for your life, that is very, very difficult, but very, very healthy. And if we come in being the helicopter mom or dad or the, or the bulldozer mom or dad paving the way for him, here you go, son, go for it, we're actually messing up that growing up period. And when later things come down the road, those wings aren't going to be strong enough and they're not going to be able to get off the ground and they'll be stuck with mom and dad because they haven't learned how to make a decision themselves. So everybody around you can be meaning just right to help, but sometimes help can be too much and then it's harmful. So Brother Brandon, just continuing here, um, you could say, Brother Brandon, um, maybe he, uh, he told me I should do that. But, but he adds, but what if something happens to Brother Branham and I get killed or die or get called away? Ah, I don't have anybody to call to tell me how I should make my decisions. No, that's not the kind of relationship we have with God. Where there's one intermediary between God and man. And it's not your pastor, how good he is. It's not Brother Branham, how good he is. There's one, and that's Jesus Christ. We have a personal relationship with him. Go to him for our questions. Counsel's fine, but you're still responsible to make the decision yourself. But he says, so if I were to die, what do you do then? See, then your calling is over because I'm the one who called you. But if Jesus calls you, brother, as long as there's an eternity, it'll still be ringing out. Now, Paul had an, an absolute. As he's seeking God's will, absolutes like this north star. Where should I be going? And growing up, you talk about um, what is your absolute. And there, there can be a, a, a debate sometimes between brothers. Is the Bible your absolute or is the message your absolute? What is your absolute? This wasn't really discussions for Paul because the Bible wasn't written yet. All he had was the, the Old Testament. But for Paul, and I, I was reading the message, the absolute, some time back, and there's this sentence that Brother Branham uses again and again that just kind of struck me with a new light. What is your absolute? And he said, Paul's Christ-centered life was his absolute. And many times in this message, the absolute, different times it's ministered, he talks about the absolute is a Christ-centered life. That's the absolute, a Christ-centered life. Because you know what? Just like Paul's friends had an idea of what Agabus' prophecy meant. They had an interpretation for it. 
if we don't have a Christ-centered life and we just have a Bible text-centered life and our interpretation of what that Bible text means, if we're not careful, we're going to be believing our interpretation of something more than what God might actually be revealing to us. We're, our, our vision is quite limited. That's one of the things Oswald Chambers brings up again and again. People like to hold fast to what they believe about God instead of what instead of believing God, because there will be great limits and disappointment to what we believe about God. But believing God will never disappoint. But Paul's absence was a Christ-centered life. And uh, here we've got uh, how the Christian world needs that kind of absolute this morning, who treat creeds and traditions um, some way to disqualify God's words from being the same yesterday, today, and forever. They need an absolute, an experience of meeting on a Damascus road. Paul knew that something happened. There was no one that could take it away from him. Nothing else mattered. He was tied. And that was that he had a tie post. No matter what come he knew he was tied, a Christ-centered life. It wasn't an interpretation that he was tied to. It was Christ that he was tied to. That's why we have so many sick children, because they're listening to just what the doctor said. But the absolute, when you've tied to that, that's it. That's God's word. It can't fail. A Christ-centered life. Not, in, not our interpretation of something or what we believe God's going to do, but we just hold to God. Maybe I'm thinking the wrong thing about it. I'm just going to hold to God. We can be very religious, but it might not be a Christ-centered life for many of us today. But when you get this Christ-centered life, it makes you do things you ordinarily wouldn't do. It makes you act differently than you ordinarily would act. That doesn't mean silly. Acting in the spirit, something that's real, something that's genuine. And if we're not careful... He says, we can, be, we can have a Christianity that becomes like little kids in school. We try to copy one off of the other. And if that guy's wrong, then the whole thing's wrong. And that's, I remember one time uh, we had a, um, I was a, a teenager, we had a, uh, it was one evening we got together in the friends of mine's uh, house. They're, 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 they're in his basement, just for a prayer meeting. We're just for 17, 18, 19 years old. We get a group of brothers there in, the, in this uh, this basement and have a little prayer meeting and I can remember I asked one brother to uh, to open in prayer and he just kind of prayed and started praying it was just one, a sovereign moment how then it seemed like the, the he just the Lord just anointed his prayer he just kind of just, just pressed through into a really supernatural atmosphere and then somebody else started to pray and then my the, the spirit of prayer just kind of went from one to another and I remember halfway through Brother John Brooks, in the middle of this prayer meeting, he gets this, this bad nosebleed. It, just kind of, it starts, and he'd been having it for a long time, and, and then we just prayed for him, and, and, and it stopped. It's just, uh, just amazing, amazing. Uh, and I think, man, we wish we could have that every week. So we go ahead and plan our, our next uh, brother's, uh, brother's, uh, brother's prayer meeting. We just get together somewhere else, and I'm thinking, my, kind of we, we think of God as a, as a mathematical equation. We got together last time. I asked Brother X to open in prayer, and we had this, so if we get together again, I'm going to ask Brother X to open in prayer again, we'll have the same thing. It didn't work that way. Because God doesn't work that way. God is sovereign, completely sovereign. That doesn't mean that the second prayer meeting wasn't wasn't as good as the first. No. But God works different ways. We can put God in the box and think of God's God. We've got them figured out. We've got them in a mathematical equation. X is this brother doing this. Y is this sister doing that. We get those things going and we get this result. No, because then it's our works. God never wants us depending upon that because 
I wasn't having a Christ-centered life in that second prayer meeting. I was focused on, okay, second, first brother, start again, and then we'll have everything. I was focused on this brother doing his prayer instead of focusing on Christ. Was anybody doing anything wrong? No. Just we got in the humanness of it all. And it's so easy to do that. But that's what Brother Bram's talking about. The reason Christianity can become like kids copying each other. Oh my, that brother does this, this sister does that, and they're so they're so spiritual. I gotta do that too. That's not that's not right. Don't copy. Meet him yourself. Amen. I like that. How much of God's will do you need to know? Only where you are and what the next step is when the time comes to take that step. We don't need to know that next step until the time comes to take it. God rarely shows us anything more than one step ahead. Very rarely. So what does that tell me? I should do what I know to do now. And then as we do that, God will make more of himself clear to us. Paul doesn't know, as he's going through all these cities, he doesn't know anything beyond, I just have to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't understand why he has to go to Jerusalem. He just knows he has to go to Jerusalem. He, has to, he thinks he's going to try to be there in time for this Feast of Pentecost. If he doesn't know anything beyond that, he's being, trying, being dissuaded from it. But I know this one thing I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it. Well, he finally gets to Jerusalem. And um, I think this is in Acts, uh, Acts 21. He finally gets there. He meets with James and the other apostles. If we kind of put ourselves back in the, in, in the first century mindset, um, having uh, Jews and Gentiles worshiping together, that was a really big deal. The Jews weren't really happy about that. So as Paul comes back and he's sharing, sharing all this news about how Gentiles are coming to the Lord and getting filled with the Holy Spirit, that's really important because the Gentiles here, hey, if they get the Holy Spirit, God's stamp of approval is much bigger than our stamp of approval. And I think that's kind of why you know, Cornelius, they got, uh, he got filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that was God's grace to Peter because Peter was there and he probably never would have said, you can get the Holy Spirit. But God just gave it to him. Peter's like, okay, if God says it, I guess it's going to work. And that worked. So it's really important that Paul's there uh, sharing this, what, what God's doing um, among the Gentiles. And then the, uh, the Jews tell him, James and the others, says, Paul, you know, there's a lot of controversy that, uh, around you. And Paul says, yeah, I know. Um, from gauging of Paul's successes from it's the amount of times he gets kicked out of a city because it wasn't always easy. But James and the other apostles in Jerusalem ask Paul, no, the Pentecost has come. We've got three other brothers here who've taken vows um, to go to the temple and, and, and perform certain sacrifices. Would you do that too? Just to show them that you are also abiding by the law. You're not trying to destroy the law. And Paul does that. And they, they come all together. And Paul's there for six days of the feast. But finally, on the seventh day, the whole city's moved in verse 30 of chapter 21. And the people ran together. And they took Paul out of the temple and then shut the doors behind him. As they went about to kill him, tidings came to the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So Paul is, uh, is here, and uh, not even a week now, and he's already causing a riot. And the, uh, the key captain comes, demands who he is, and then there was a, arose a great dissension. And the captain, fearing lest Paul would be torn in pieces of the Jews, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and bring him into the castle. 
And that night there, Paul is now in some kind of a cell. The Lord stood by him. The angel of the Lord stood by him and says, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so must you also bear witness in Rome. Paul has obeyed the first step that God shows him. He gets to Jerusalem. He doesn't know why, but he's testified to the other Jewish believers that God is doing great works among the Gentiles. They are your brothers. The unity of the body of Christ is being furthered and strengthened by his time here so far. He's completed his task in Jerusalem, it seems, and says, just like you've done it in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness to me in Rome. But can we see already that the mystery of God's will to Paul is kind of messy? Paul has this sense at the beginning, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and after that I go, I go to Rome. But there's so much that happens between that isn't at all what Paul would have expected and uh, not probably what he would have wanted. But we see, though, that after we take the first step, only after that do we learn what the next step is. Now, you kind of wonder, if Rome was the next step in God's plan for Paul, what was the purpose of Paul's trip to Jerusalem? Because it would have been a lot. Paul was... When he was in Asia Minor, he's pretty close to Rome. That's Asia Minor is a lot closer to Rome is than Judea. Why does why does all this have to take place? Was Jerusalem a um, a needless detour? Wouldn't another route have been better? As these difficulties come up, Paul could have asked, "Have I missed God's will somewhere?" That's kind of stuff that we ask ourselves sometimes when we have uh, turbulence on our uh, on our track. And it doesn't seem like Paul had accomplished very much in Jerusalem, I can imagine. Um, he's caused a riot outside the temple. He causes another riot there in the Sanhedrin. And in both cases, um, Paul has to be rescued by, by Roman soldiers. We, when, we were, when he was up in Ephesus, when he was up in Asia Minor, we had all kinds of testimonies about conversions, about deliverance, about great things being done. When he's in Jerusalem caused two riots, and he gets thrown into jail. Lord, this doesn't seem to be very productive. Why did you bring me here? It's hard for him to make sense, I can imagine, because it would be hard for us to make sense of that sometimes. Had all this trip been worthless, was it really God's will? Those are the kinds of questions that we go through sometimes, and I'm sure Paul did too. But Paul told the Lord told Paul that his stay in Jerusalem was not worthless because, like we just saw in the Bible text, he had testified of Jesus. When we testify or tell somebody about the Lord, we can engage our success. We, can, we, we, we try to gauge our success by how many people actually accept it. That's not a good way of gauging success. You can, you can, I, I can remember one time I was... Um, I, uh, I was talking to my, uh, my, my basketball coach in high school. I went, he was a car salesman. He was gone on, he'd gone on the lot, and he was there on the lot, and I went to visit with him. And he had, he'd known a little bit about our family. You guys believe something a little bit different. Um, your church is a little bit different, but exactly how different, uh, he wasn't quite sure, because talking about those kind of things was kind of verboten, I think. Um, just kind of keep those under the mat. But um, so we, he's there, it's just he and me, and... Uh, um, yeah, so how are you guys different? And that, that's a really hard question to answer on the spur of the moment. And the only thing that came to mind at that moment was, was serpent seed. Like, Lord, please give me something besides serpent seed to, to share with them. This is not, this is not a, 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 real, a real easy one to talk about. And 
That's why I started explaining. says, you mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, uh, he, was, uh, he was dead set. Uh, uh, I'd, uh, I got, got quite a reaction. Um, and I left the place. This reaction was strong. It kind of, it kind of shook me. Like, man, am I right? Because he didn't, he didn't accept it. Am I, am I right? You know, we can, when we get such strong opposition to something, that can shake us. But we can't say whether or not the truth is correct because people, did, because people didn't accept it. If that's the case, many people that Paul spoke to didn't believe what he spoke, but that doesn't mean it wasn't true. We just hold strongly to what God reveals, and our success as a sower of seed does not mean, has, has no bearing on how good the seed is. Amen. So Paul was there in Jerusalem for, uh, my goodness, it was, uh, he's there in Acts chapter 24, and he's before the governor, and now he's, uh, he's, it's kind of interesting, every now and then in the account you see little indications of how long Paul lived in Jerusalem. He spends uh, some time there before the Sanhedrin, then he's locked up uh, by, 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 by the governor, and then he says, I've only been here for 12 days. And in those 12 days, a riot outside the temple, a big riotous dissension in the council, and then uh, in order to get him out of Jerusalem, um, I think Paul's nephew had heard that, uh, that Jews had taken a, a vow that they weren't going to eat uh, for so many, or they weren't going to eat until, Paul, until they had murdered Paul. So he passes this note on to the captain and they escape secretly with 200 soldiers. And just, all this has happened in just 12 days. But not a lot of um, fruit of his ministry that you would say. And you know what? There can be times in our life where we don't see a lot of fruit from whatever we're doing. Talk about child raising. I mean, you work years and years and years, and you're not seeing a whole lot of fruit yet. But you keep on doing what you're supposed to do because, in faith that those principles, God's word is going to come, come about. If we don't know what the next step is, we just keep on doing what God's told us to do, and that he will bring that next part along. A real good example of this is Adoniram Judson, the first American foreign missionary, went to Burma. And he labored in Burma for seven years. In fact, he wasn't even intending to go to Burma at first. He was intending to go to India. But by the time he and his wife had gotten to, were trying to get off of India, there was uh, some kind of uh, um, armed conflict there, and the, British, uh, and, and the British actually wouldn't let them into India. So Burma, to Adoniram Judson, was, was plan B. But it wasn't plan B to God. So he goes to Burma, and he labors seven years without a single convert in Burma. And at this point, the Missionary Society in the United States writes to Adoniram, we don't see a whole lot of fruit here. You think it's time for you to come back. And he writes back to him and says, the future is as bright as the promises of God. And we go through those downtimes, those doldrums. We can come back to, oh, the present, I don't see what's going on, but the future is as bright as the promises of God. Now, Paul, um, in chapter 24 after that, there was no learning that it was God's will for him to go to Rome, he had to wait now two years in a prison cell in Caesarea before he could set sail for Rome. Two years. While he's up in Asia Minor, he, he has this idea, I need to go to Jerusalem after to Rome. He makes Jerusalem, spends 12 days there, escapes by night with a Roman escort to Caesarea, and then Festus, or Felix rather, just lets Paul sit there for 
two years. Nothing going on. Lord, I had a great mission field in Asia Minor. And now I'm in this prison cell. Nothing is happening for two years. Nothing. And we can have that in our lives sometimes. It's like nothing is happening. God, nothing. I'm not feeling the wind of your presence. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Nothing is happening. But Paul was in God's will. But it's the mystery of his will. We don't understand it all as it unfolds. We just keep on walking with him. And you know what? We're in a hurry, but God is never in a hurry. Paul could look at this time in Caesarea as useless. There's better things. God, you saw me minister there in Ephesus. You saw the revival. Lord, I've got skills. I've got abilities. Uh, Why am I stuck here? That's that human frustration. But Paul, you're in a hurry. I'm not. What was God doing to him in Caesarea? Maybe he was training him how to be a good prisoner. He wasn't a very productive prisoner, it might seem, in Caesarea. We don't know of any Bible letters or anything that we know was written in Caesarea, but he had to learn to accept being in a prison cell because in Rome he would be in a prison cell, and in Rome he was productive in a prison cell. This might have been a period of training that he didn't know what was going on, but God knew what was going on. Detours and delays don't bother God. They bother us, but not him. And as I was putting this together, I thought, man, I hope I don't jinx my trip home. Um, They don't bother God. They can bother us, but they don't bother the Lord. So during his two years in Caesarea, um, Paul testifies before Felix, before Festus, before King Agrippa. None of them come to the Lord. We don't hear any conversions no baptisms, no deliverances, no healings, no miracles. And it seems like he had left Ephesus where all kinds of things were happening. He's in the doldrums. But he's still testifying of the Lord Jesus, which is always a good thing to do. And I just think that God is still training Paul, preparing him to be a productive prisoner of the Lord when he gets to a prison cell there in Rome later. And finally, in Acts 25... He, um, he's there before uh, Festus and, the, and, and Agrippa. And Paul finally um, says, I've done nothing wrong if I be an offender. Then I'm, I, I, I don't mind dying. If I've done something wrong, then go ahead and put me to death. I'm fine with that. But if there be none of these things of the, whereof these accuse me, if their accusations are false, no man can be delivered me back to the Jews I appeal to Caesar. Don't send me back to Jerusalem. I'm not called Jerusalem. I appeal to Caesar. Then the, uh, the Romans, uh, they get together with the council and says, My, have you appealed to Caesar? Then to Caesar you will go. And they, uh, and they as, as readers, we kind of, it's kind of ironic because later we see that um, Agrippa tells Festus, if Paul hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could have set him free. Because this man might have been set at liberty if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. He put that docket in, know how it was done. But once you appeal to Caesar, that couldn't be called back. And as we read this, we're like, oh, Paul, why did you have to appeal to Caesar if you just had kept yourself under control and not let yourself do it in your frustration? I appeal to Caesar. If you hadn't done that, maybe you could have been free again. And it doesn't matter if when Paul heals, hears this, because... It's in the Bible, so Luke wrote it. Paul would have heard about it and thought, man, if I hadn't appealed to Caesar, why did I have to do that? Me and my big mouth, I shouldn't have appealed to Caesar. And how many times do we think we mess up? Like, man, if I could just take that decision and do it over again. 
oh man, things would be so much better. Well, Paul couldn't take this back. And I wonder if he just kind of wondered, oh, I could have been set free. Why did I have to do that? And we wonder as readers, as we're reading through this, does he make a rash mistake here? Is this, is this Paul getting out of God's will or is this actually another step in God's plan? It's hard to tell even as we're reading it. But, you know, that's the kind of question that we can struggle with. But Paul knows what God's will is, in a sense. He knows his will is to be in Rome, not to get sent back to Jerusalem. So he, he makes an appeal based upon what he thinks is best at the time. And you know what? We don't have perfect knowledge. When we're called to make a decision, that we can wait weeks and weeks and weeks and months and stretch into years as we try to make a decision and sometimes we decide, I just need to keep praying about it. I need to keep my options open. I do this and that. And sometimes that's nice religious speak for being indecisive, not being able to make a decision. It can be that way sometimes. But um, you know, Brother Brandon, he, he got criticized sometimes for the way he held his meetings, his prayer lines. He felt bad about it. You've got um, Oral Roberts could pray for hundreds of people a night, just this, this fast prayer line. And Brother Branham just goes... He might pray for 20, 25 people at the most sometimes. He got criticized. He just prayed and prayed, Lord, how should I hold my meetings? How should I hold my meetings? And the angel of the Lord told him, just go, do as you feel led. Thank you, Lord, but that's not really an answer. I want you to tell me exactly how I'm supposed to do it. But you know what? If we are always told exactly what we're supposed to do, that hinders the process of the butterfly learning to fly and that's what we're, we have to wrestle through God, finding God's will for ourselves. Not even the angel of the Lord would tell Brother Branham exactly every single time exactly how he would do it. Just do as you feel led. And that calls us into a personal walk with the Lord. If we're always told exactly what to do, just a matter of obedience the whole time. I don't need to talk to the Lord because he's always telling me exactly what to do and that's it. But um, Brother Branham said, God doesn't push us through a pipe. We want that. I remember going with the, I went, I went to the, it was one of the first or second men's meetings, I think, and I had this list of what I really prayed the Lord would, would do for me, and I could, I could come and just, I could come as, I could come as raw materials, go through the meeting, the Holy Spirit would come down, I would leave a finished product. I, that, that's, that was my vision for the men's meeting. That was not God's vision for the men's meeting. Because that whole, it's not a factory process. It's a whole growth thing. And um, that's just how it is. We, we want to go somewhere and have every single thing taken care of in our lives. And sometimes God works that way. But oftentimes, it's daily learning to overcome. We want God to pull us through the pipe and bring us through the other end. But that builds no, no character that way. Paul, in this whole time that he's in, he's in Caesarea, he has, to, uh, he has one word of the Lord that he's received regarding his current circumstances. And that is, you're going to bear witness for me in Rome. So to Paul, coming come back to the question, did he make a mistake here? It didn't matter whether he went to Rome as a free man or as a prisoner. The most important thing was just getting to Rome. And I think he just had to come and, uh, come and uh, surrender to that. God's in control. I did the best I could. God's going to take care of the rest on that. And he does. What's really interesting, if you look in the back of your Bible, sometimes you'll have all these maps. From here to the end of the book of Acts, some of the Bible maps will call this Paul's fourth missionary journey. I about guarantee you that Paul did not consider this a missionary journey. 
because Paul is a prisoner on the Roman ship heading to Rome. But we can look back and say, look, God's using this whole thing as a missionary journey. But to Paul, he's a prisoner. He doesn't have a whole lot of freedom of himself. But in hindsight, we can say, yes, God's in control. It is a missionary journey. So Paul is uh, he's not traveling alone. Uh, two brothers in Christ uh, travel with him. And in this, 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 this journey on this ship is going to be another example of the mystery of God's will. So they make it, uh, they leave Caesarea, they make it to the, uh, to the Fair Havens. And it's great that he's not traveling alone. He's got two brothers in Christ uh, going with him. And I'd say it's, if we're struggling with God's will, it's good to be with brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us there along the way. Now, the, uh, the first leg of the voyage was, uh, was, was, was difficult. I know it's kind of the, it's kind of an archetype. You know, you get, the first part's bad. It's kind of foreshadowing the rest is going to be bad. That's how it is. And, uh, when Paul's there at this, uh, place called the Fair Havens there in Crete, it's, um, the kind of rest. They're able to get reloaded for the rest of the journey. I think it kind of shows that even in times of trial, God does bring us to places like the Fair Havens. And when we're wondering, Lord, I feel alone, nothing's good's happening, but when, when somebody sends us a note, when, when God speaks to us there in a special way, however small it is, take that under the microscope. Say, Look what God's done for me. He's done a great thing for me because that was God giving us a small fair haven in our trials. Now, while Paul is on Crete, he warns the, soul, the sailors, don't go on. There's going to be this terrible wind, Eurachlodon, and um, it's going to be terrible weather. Um, let's just wait for this storm to pass. We can spend the winter months here. Um, I can see the voyage is going to be with much, much hurt and damage. Paul's right about this. But he has uh, no decision-making authority in this case. And the captain decides not to listen to him. So they're going to go on. And I kind of look at this. When people make wrong decisions, the captain, we can say, seems like he could be making the wrong decision here. When people make wrong decisions, there are always other people around them that are going to be affected by it. And a lot of those people that are affected by the decision, they have no choice in the matter. Because one person in the family makes a bad decision, goes the wrong way. The rest of the family, in a sense, is on the voyage with them, whether they want to be or not. Mom or dad something wrong. There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's stress in the family. There could be a, 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 a divorce situation. Those, those kids are not at fault at all, but they're still on the voyage. They don't have any choice in the matter. This is just... The, 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 the decision maker, the captain makes this. Paul can't do anything about it. The whole group is there on the voyage. He knew the decision was wrong. You can look as uh, adults, look at your, 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 your adult children, knowing that they're making the wrong decision here. You have no, but you can't keep them from the decision. But you realize, oh, we're all going to be on this voyage together for a while as we're reaping the consequences of this decision. In this case, Paul had to stay in the boat with them, with, with, with the captain, even though he knew he was headed for problems. Nonetheless, um, even though Paul knows it's going to be a bad voyage, Paul's there, and the angel of the Lord is there. And this next leg of the voyage, it's not pretty by any means. They go off, and then just one storm comes, and then another, and then another, and it's just not good at all. But you know what? During the storm an angel appears to Paul with a message of hope. The storm can look so bad, 
and that we could be on a storm that's not of our doing, that's not because of any decision that we made, because somebody else in our life made a decision, but we're still in the storm. But the angel of the Lord is still with us. And in stormy seas, it's God's peace that prevails. The angel of the Lord came to Paul, said, Paul, um, there's going to be a shipwreck. There's going to be loss of, uh, loss of freight, loss of the ship. But I will give you all the lives. They will be saved. And in in these type, kinds of trials where bad things are happening all around us, be thankful that the lives of your loved ones are still with you because it's God showing what's most important. The car could be wrecked. They could be losing the house. But the soul of your child, they're still there. What's most important to God? God doesn't care about the possessions. God does care about the soul. So the angel of the Lord comes to Paul, says, uh, that, that night, and uh, Paul tells him the next day, be of good cheer, it'll be just as the Lord told me. And for this two-week-long storm, Paul is the leader on the ship. He's, telling the, he's keeping the sailors from getting into a lifeboat, telling the folks, stop fasting, eat, you need your strength. He tells the soldiers not to kill the prisoners. They all survive, and they finally come, and they crash there on the Isle of Malta. We think this is a missionary journey. This is a this is this is a, a shipwreck. Why couldn't God have gotten His servant there to Rome more easily? He could have, but God's priorities. God doesn't care about the stuff. He cares about the lives. God's priorities are better than our priorities because there were a few people there on that island who needed to know about the Lord, and there was circumstances that Paul could never have arranged on his own, being bitten by a snake, surviving it. One moment people think he's a terrible murderer, and next moment they think he's a god. And he stays there for three months before setting sail for Rome. Again, God's not in a hurry. Wherever we are, sometimes we can... Oh, I'm, I'm terrible about this. No, I, I, wanna, I know I'm supposed to be point uh, B at a certain time, and I, I, cannot, I can never enjoy the moment of getting there or if somebody comes along along my way, I, I, I have a hard time thinking, oh, this is time for a good conversation. I just, I just want to get where I'm supposed to be, on time. But Paul couldn't be that way. He's supposed to be there in Rome, but hey, I'm stranded here in Malta for three months. Let's make the best of it, guys. And that's what Paul, God was teaching Paul in that time, and may he help me learn that too. God's not in a hurry, and he finally makes it to Rome. Once he gets there, um, he's got a lot of experience being a, uh, a prisoner, and now he gets to be uh, there under house arrest. And it's here in Rome that uh, Paul's going to be doing some of his most productive work, writing many books of the Bible. But look at how long it took Paul to get there. From the time that he left Philippi and was arrested there in Jerusalem to the time that he gets in Rome, from year 57 to 58 to year 59, year 60. He's three years from the time that he knows I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem and then bear witness in Rome. He's got that indication somewhere in the book, earlier in the book of Acts. But it takes three years before God's will unfolds to him. Like God's will is a mystery. He has a sense of what it's supposed to be, but it just unfolds gradually gradually, gradually, and Paul has to follow it one step at a time. And so is it with us. We have a sense, this is God's will for my life, but don't be in a hurry. God's not in a hurry. He'll bring it about all in his time. And it's ironic. Um, 
Paul writes some of the most encouraging letters of the New Testament in circumstances that were not so encouraging. This whole time that Paul is two years in Caesarea, that he's in this shipwreck, he's stranded place after place after place. He is, God is writing Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He's writing them in Paul before Paul ever puts his pen to the paper. Paul, read these, Coleman, read these again, because you see, what has Paul just been through? And he's saying, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And we complain about the Wi-Fi being bad at home. But Paul learns in whatsoever state I am, be content. Paul wasn't just glibly writing this. He had lived it. He had lived it. Not easy at all. Despite his circumstances in prison, Paul was still an apostle. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. This isn't on the screen, so we have to open our Bibles and take a look at it. It's so easy sometimes to let our circumstances define us. Oh, man, this happened at work. I'm a failure. This happened at school. I got a bad grade. That's going to ruin my chance for college. Oh, I'm, I'm a failure. I'm this. We let our circumstances define us. I lost my job. Life is hopeless. Oh, this is bad. And those things are bad. We, can, we have those, and we, and we struggle, and it's really hard to say as we feel that we're a failure. No, I'm a son of God. And he's going to help me be a success. That's really hard to say. Um, but Paul, he's writing in prison. How does he identify himself in Ephesians 1.1? He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul's circumstance, his prison cell, had done nothing to change who he was, what his calling was, what his position was. No matter what kind of things you're going through, even if things are, are not going well at home, you're still called to be dad. Don't give up. Still be dad. Still be mom. Paul, because oh, this is terrible. I'm going to drop this whole apostle thing. What, what would have the loss been? That could have been tempting, but he can't. He's, the, the circumstance does not change the calling. Circumstances don't determine who we are. A few years ago, I was doing, a, um, doing some financial uh, um, counseling at a, uh, at a homeless shelter for women in, uh, in Lima. And uh, it's my, you, you leave, my dad and I would, would go up there twice a month. And after every time, you felt, if you've, if you've got parents who love each other, you've won the lottery, guys, as far as most folks don't have that. If you've got parents who love each other, you've got, that is a tremendous blessing. If you finish high school, then get some education, get, finish high school, get a job and get married in that order, your path to success is what seems like laid out there. And there's so many people, the things that we just kind of assume oh, everybody knows that, most people don't. The thing, the, our greatest blessings in life, I learned that experience, the greatest blessings in, in our lives, I didn't even recognize them as a blessing. That's, that's normal. No. I mean, the word of God that, that's, that, that has established families that's for us. Is that's that's normal? But that is the greatest blessing in our lives. Yeah, it's just, it's just tremendous. So go home and give mom and dad a hug. Say, guys, you're doing a great job because that's what, what what they've given to you by raising, by giving you a great home. That is a great blessing. But uh, told these uh, ladies one time, you know, would our financial circumstances change if you were to win the lottery? Like, wow, it'd be great. But you know what? It doesn't. It doesn't. My neighbor man. Won the lottery. He and some buddies at work, they won the lottery, like 
probably 20 years ago. Oh, my goodness, probably 22 years ago or so he won the lottery. The guys, they, they, they did. But um, 20 years later, he and his wife are divorced. They, uh, and he's living in some kind of a shack. He's, he's, he's a drunk. But he won the lottery. His circumstances changed. But circumstances changing doesn't produce the change because the greatest thing that needs to change is right here. And only God can do that. So it's a false hope that, my, if circumstances change in my life, I'll be better. No, that's a lie of the devil. We've got to be changed. We need God to change us. And uh, circumstances don't determine who we are. Our response to them is much more important than the circumstances themselves. And as Paul's writing here in prison, what's he writing about? He's writing about everything, about, about family relationships, about employer-employee relationships, all of these things. And uh, we're, 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 these are the prison epistles, but we're seeing how the mystery of God's will is going to be worked out in all of these different areas of our lives. Even the book Philemon, which was, uh, who was a runaway slave, that was one of the prison uh, letters. And this has to do with the re- Philemon's relationship and Onesimus' relationship to his past. Onesimus was, was the runaway slave. But all these circumstances, Paul has to learn how to be content. And in prison, what is Paul doing? Took God had to teach him this lesson many years in prison. But this is really trite. You know, advice, bloom where you're planted. But Paul was planted there in a prison cell, and he bloomed there. And we can get uh, really aggravated. Man, I need a promotion at my work, and it's not happening yet. Or my, my teacher in my classroom isn't recognizing my abilities or this or that. We can get so aggravated. Calm down. Bloom where you're planted. You've got, might have a, you might have a terrible boss, but be glad you got a job and try to bloom where you're planted until you get somewhere else. God is working all of this out in Paul as he's writing these epistles. And let's turn over to Philippians chapter 4. The first, one, one verse is here on the screen. Not that I speak in respect of want, though Paul probably lacked a lot of things. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And verse 12, read this, recognizing the things that Paul has gone through to be able to pen these words. I know both how to be abased, yep, and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can be needy on the one hand, but I can have the joy of God's abounding love and and grace to me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. This is what Paul has learned through these trials. This is what God is going to be working out, out in us as well. So with the benefit of hindsight... We look at this, uh, and they're in our Bibles, it's called a fourth missionary journey, but it probably didn't seem that way to Paul. Um, but you know what? God was in control the whole time. And we can look at our lives and say, what in the world is God doing in my life right now? I've got no idea. But we can look back into Paul's life and we can say, God is everything in control. God did every single stop on that route, planned out. It was all under his hand. Paul was in God's will the whole time. That was Paul. God works that way for his sons and daughters today, too. That is that that same true for us. God was guiding and directing Paul through all those things. He guides and directs us nonetheless. We walk by faith, not by sight. We're trusting in the Lord. 
And this, and this faith isn't this, this blind leap in the dark. No, there's trust. And Abraham follows God each step of the way. He's following him, trusting him, because he says what God has done in the past. God's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful in the present. Has God been faithful to you in the past? I encourage you, if you're really discouraged, take the time out to see what has God has done for you. It can be really hard to start out, but make a note of those things, and you'll see God is still in control. So we don't know all of God's will at any particular moment of our life. At best, we know the next step. But if we want to know more, take that step. The next one will be awaiting for us. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, it is God's pleasure that he's purposing himself. It is God's joy to reveal his will to us. So if you're wondering what is God's will for your life, well, keep following God because it's his pleasure to reveal it to you. Um, maybe one last scripture as the musicians come. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And I don't have this on the slide either. So we can kind of, as we turn there, we can look in the mirror. Are we running from God's will in our life in some way? If we're running from it, hey, stop running, follow him. If we know what God's will is for us, that one step, do it. If we know where God wants us to be, stay there, listen. Do what you know to do now, and God will show you more in his time. And we can think, maybe I'm in a storm like Paul was. It might not be a storm of my own making. But the storm is no hindrance to God. The angel of the Lord came to Paul in his storm. It's much better than the postal service and the rain or shine. The angel of the Lord was there. And God will be there for us in our storm. And have we been following God's will like Paul did, but now we don't know where God is? If that's the case, we just wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Because the same God who brought us this far will show us the next step. And then wherever we are, if we know where that's God's will for us, bloom where we're planted. And as all these things are going in our lives, we can think back to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, no matter where you are, even if you're in a prison cell, abound in the work of the Lord, as you, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whether you're seeing results now or not is regardless. If, you're, if you know what God's will is, do it. He's responsible for bringing the results. Until then, we just keep on abounding, steadfast, unmovable in His, in his work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the testimony of Paul, Lord, as we can look back at it and, and see the, the ups and downs of his life. And we can see that in all those things, you were in control. And Lord, perhaps there are things in our, in our families, in our situations, in our work situations that are out of our control, and we feel like we're just along for the tumultuous ride. Lord, I pray that you would come to us in that circumstance and help us, Father, that we might be able to abound in you, unmovable, steadfast, trusting you, O God. Lord, I pray for each and every one that you would give them a clear revelation of, of your will, God. Unfold that mystery little by little, Lord, more in their lives, I ask. Lord, we just ask your blessing upon each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Song is that? What? Order my steps in your word, dear Lord. Lead me.
me and guide me every day. Send your anointing, Father, I pray. Order my steps in your word. Let's all stand. Order my steps in your word. Worthy, according to thy word, please order my steps, Lord. I'll do your blessed steps in your word, dear Lord. Lead me and guide me every day. Send your anointing, Father, I pray. Order my steps in your word. Please order my steps in your word. I want to walk Worthy
was sitting there thinking as he was talking about that fourth leg of, of Paul's missionary journey, which kind of seemed like a failure. And I was thinking about, I think it was um, <clears throat> Brother Branham was talking about, I think it was in Memphis where he, his plane had got delayed and the Holy Spirit just told him to walk. And there was a little black sister that had, had been praying. He had no clue. The Holy Spirit just told him to walk, and he's just walking. He didn't know what, you know. But when he got to the house, the sister knew who he was. Morning, Parson. And I thought, my, how wonderful that is that sometimes we just have to walk. We just have to walk and trust God. I know I've seen it time and time again in my own life. And it's hard to do, especially sometimes people like me can be a little impatient and a lot impatient. And living in a microwave age, you want things right then and right there, but God's got it. He's got it all in control. And He knows, He knows everything. Amen. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. Certainly do appreciate, uh, Brother Rapp coming down and it's good to see you, brother. And you have a, we'll be praying for a safe trip back up to your family and, uh, we appreciate your family letting us borrow you for a, for a weekend. Let's sing that, uh, oh, just uh, one more thing. There is a young people's meeting at 3 o'clock here today. Fellowship Hall, ages 13 and up. So all you young people, make sure you're back here by 3 o'clock this afternoon. Let's sing that, uh, He's Got It All in Control. He's got it all in control. He's got it all in control. He puts that reassurance deep down in my soul. He's got it all in control. God's got it all. got it all in control. He puts that reassurance deep down in my soul. He's got it all in control. One more time. Oh, God's got it all all in control. He puts that reassurance deep down in my soul. He's got it all in control. Let's just sing as you're dismissed in prisoner's chains with bleeding stripes all inside the spray 
that night and in their pain began to sing their chains were loosed and they were free I bless your to be gathered together, Lord, to come in Your name and, and worship around Your Word, Father. Lord, we know as, as we move on towards the end, Lord, that these times of being able to get together, Lord, they, they could become difficult and harder to do, Lord, and we just treasure each one that You give us. Father, there's a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty around the earth today, Lord. The world has truly fallen apart, unstable economies, unstable governments, hatred, instability. But Father, those of us that know You, we see it as a time of rejoicing, a time to get excited. Because we know, Lord, that Your coming is very soon and our redemption is nigh. Lord, we just pray and ask, Lord, that You would keep us in Your will, Lord. Lord, show us, Father, where we need to go, what we need to do to be more focused on You. Keep us in Your will, Lord, so that we don't get in Your way. That's truly my prayer, Father. I just pray and ask, Lord, that You would forgive us of all of our sins, Lord. Just go with us this week, Lord. Those that's Sick among us. Lord, those that couldn't be here, Father, just go and minister to each and every individual need. Lord, I pray for our pastor, Lord, and Sister Becky, that you would just be with them and give them safe traveling mercies as they come back, Father. Lord, we pray that you will be with Brother Rapp on his journey home also, Lord. Father, we love you. And we praise you, Lord, and we'll give you all the praise and glory. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may, di- you may be dismissed. I bless your name. I bless your name. I give you all. You pray. You are
are the life, the truth, the way. I bless your name. I bless your name. Some midnight hour, if you should find your Reach out and praise, defy those chains, and they will fall in Jesus' name. I bless your name. 